Saturday. Man, it feels so good to say that. Welcome to the Sooner Nation podcast. I'm Matt Hofeld along with Rich DeCray. We're going to talk uh, spring football. We've got some names, some guys, some numbers that you're going to want to keep track of. And we'll tell you the reason why on Saturday. We've got some softball talks some basketball talks and baseball talk. We've got your true or false statements that we're going to throw at Rich, and uh, we've just got a lot of fun that's about to happen. So this is the Sooner Nation podcast. We're glad you're here. Uh, let's start with some, and I don't mean this in in the uh, in any form of derogatory manner, but let's start with some of the minor sports because we all know this is the University of Oklahoma. Football pays the bills. We say that early and often here on the Sooner Nation podcast, and I would be willing to bet Joe Castiglione agrees with us. But Oklahoma softball splits their two-game series, a doubleheader at Georgia on Tuesday. The Sooners lose in extra innings in the first game, and then they wall up the Bulldogs 12-3 in in five innings, uh, a run rule in the second game. I wrote about this on the website, Rich. You never, I mean, look, you're going to lose. There's there's no such thing as undefeated teams in softball, baseball, and really not since the 70s, undefeated teams in basketball, but... You don't go looking for those losses, but it's almost you listen to Patty Gasso after the game and you almost get the sense that, yeah, she kind of was. She needed to see how her team could could really rebound after a loss. And I mean, it, it, her words, not mine. They kind of thought they were going to she said the word she used is they were walking into a trap. But you see this team and. It took Georgia everything Georgia had, two extra innings to defeat Oklahoma. And then that second game, you could just tell Georgia had nothing left. And so what I'm saying, I think, is what Patty Gasso is saying is we're going to be hard to beat in a best of, you know, a, a double elimination format in the postseason. And that's really, I think, what Patty Gasso was looking for, was it not? I... You don't agree with me. I I can't say that what she's saying isn't accurate, but I do know what the national perception of the Oklahoma Sooners were with a pitcher like G. Juarez in the circle and this lineup from top to bottom. It was that they had largely been untested when it came to the Red River rivalry, when it came to the OU-Texas matchup, and you see two, two programs ranked inside the top 10 going head-to-head in a three-game series, I think everyone watching that from the outside believed this would be the one time that Oklahoma would be tested. And Matt, you and I sat here, and we shared in right. those sentiments. We said that this would be a good a good series with two solid pitchers going at each and every single one of the batters in the lineup. That wasn't the case because Texas was completely obliterated. Three games, three run rolls, for Oklahoma, I still felt as though that that perception existed for Oklahoma, for Patty Gasso, that this was a team that remained untested. And it, it brought about questions of just how good is the Big 12. We know that Oklahoma running the table had been undefeated on a 40 game win streak dating back to last season before it was completely canceled due to, to health concerns. But what we didn't know about this team was what would happen. And like you're saying, like Patty Gasso, Coach Gasso is saying, what would happen to this team when someone actually stood up to the challenge and came in with a game plan that limited what Oklahoma was exceptionally good at, which was putting on a handful of runs in a single inning. Mm-hmm. We saw, once again, 
against Georgia. Oklahoma did just that with a grand slam from Lindsey Elam. All of a sudden, Oklahoma retakes the lead. There were some issues on Georgia's side that ultimately could have cost them the game in regulation in seven innings. But we're talking know, about jumping over home plate. Yes, I'm just, just yes <laughs> by fields with Georgia jumping over home home plate. The run being removed, her being called out instead. But when we look at at what Georgia did, and we look at the body of work in the SEC, Georgia doesn't even have a winning record in the SEC, by the way, and they're ranked inside the top 25. There is a perception that surrounds that conference, regardless of sport at this point in time, that says that they are going to play some dominant teams into the postseason. They're going to play some really, really good teams in the postseason. And I myself had begun to question, was Oklahoma of that caliber? Is the Big 12 of that caliber this year? And as I had mentioned, we just had not seen it up to this point of the season. So Oklahoma going, going to Athens playing Georgia in a hostile environment and taking that loss. I think it was needed. I don't know that I would have called that a trap game, but I know that this is a team that has, has not slowed down one bit. And as Gasso coach Gasso said, you want to know how your body responds when you have nothing left in the tank. And Oklahoma answered that question. Ergo, I think they can remove this stigma that they haven't been tested because they do have a loss on their record now. Yeah, but see, here's here's where I take exception. Maybe a little bit to what you said, and maybe I'm misunderstanding it, but I do know that. And they've talked about it. They talked about it all through the Texas series. That this team hasn't been tested. They haven't been tested. And then you you go to Georgia, you lose the first game. And by the way, apparently there's a thousand and five people on Twitter who know more about softball than Patty Gasso. I mean, are you serious right now? You're gonna call out Patty Gasso because you disagreed with the decision she made in the one game she's lost over the last forty one? You could have done it better. I am really, but here's here's where I really just and this is why people don't like the SEC. Because you see on social media, oh yeah, well they finally played an SEC school and look what happened. Okay, is Mississippi State not in the SEC anymore? Is Missouri not in the SEC anymore? Well, they played a top twenty five program. Okay, Arizona State, they're not ranked anymore. Again, let's go back to Missouri. They're not ranked anymore. It, it just it, people are Ignorance shines through in situations like this, and I I don't get it from the Oklahoma from the Oklahoma fan who wants to call out and not just an elite softball coach but a Hall of Fame softball coach. So Joe Oklahoma fan wants to call them out be, because you wouldn't have taken Giselle Juarez out of the game. Here's why they took Giselle Juarez out of the game. It was her third time to face the lineup, and so. Georgia's Georgia's making adjustments. Patty Gasso, how many times have you seen Patty Gasso do that? She had Paige Parker and Paige Lowry. How many times did we see him do that? That's that is a that is a Patty Gasso move when she has dominant pitchers. And the thing is, Shannon Sale didn't have it. In that first game, Shannon Sale didn't have it. You're, there's not a single person on Twitter who'd have known Shannon Sale didn't have it. And the reason why I can tell you that with all certainty, because Patty Gasso didn't know Shannon Sale didn't have it, right? The first person is going to know whether Patty, whether Shannon Sale, well, maybe Jenna Rocha, Jenna Rocha that will have it, know it first. But the point I'm making is they threw Shannon Sale the second game, and she was phenomenal. She just couldn't find the groove right there in that first game. And if she did, if if the Shannon Sale that started the second game is the Shannon Sale that comes in in that first game, it's a 2-0 sweep, and Oklahoma's 
42 and 0 on that streak, but it's not. Sorry, you got me on my soapbox because this whole perception thing is just bogus. And here's what's going to happen. I'm going to go ahead and call it. UCLA will be the top team next week. They've got more losses than Oklahoma. But if they win their series this weekend, mark it down, UCLA will be number one next week, even though Oklahoma's only lost one game. And in the grand scheme of things, you just need to be in the top eight. Because no, you I want, agree. You I agree. Yeah, region. I'm with you. I agree. Does, does it hurt Oklahoma to be at number two? I'm just two? talking about how stupid this perception is. That's all. I want to back up to something you said. When we look at this pitching staff, one thing that Patty Gasso is known for is not consistently throwing a singular pitcher against a mm-hmm. team she believes they will possibly face again later in the season. Georgia very well could be one of those teams. I know a couple of years ago they made the Women's College World Series. That's not to say Oklahoma and Georgia played a regular season series against each other, but it is saying that Georgia's a team that's familiar with postseason play. Georgia is a team that's proven they can make it there, and Georgia is once again a team who's looking and clawing to get there. The second point that I wanted to throw out was this, Matt is when you have that number one ranking by your name, guess what you get from every single team? You get their absolute best. No, I agree 100%. hats off to Georgia for coming in with a game plan and executing it nearly to perfection. The the Elam bomb was the one slip-up that Georgia had in that first game. They gave Oklahoma everything that Oklahoma could handle, whether that was defensively, whether that was offensively. Oklahoma, in my opinion, from start to finish, seemed as as though they were on their heels. They were playing to get back in that game, and once they finally took the lead, it wasn't as if they ever had full grasp of the momentum. That that firmly belonged to Georgia to me. And that was the the feeling that I had, again, from start to finish, from inning one to inning nine, that Georgia was in control of this game and they were either going to lose it or they were going to win it. But Oklahoma could do nothing but go along for the ride. Yeah, well, the next time that they're going to experience that is going to be Bedlam. Uh, but I, I don't think they're going to experience that in the postseason because they're going to they're going to host a regional, they're going to host a super regional, and then they're going to be the home team in Oklahoma City, most likely. I do. I, I want to come back to this, and we're going to move on. But I want to. I think Patty Gasso. I know it, it sounds crazy. I think she wanted to see her team lose, though. I really do. I think she wanted to see you, you, the the character, the makeup, the definition, and a long season. Now, if you're in football, right, you don't want to lose, okay? Because everyone knows if you lose, it's almost a death sentence. But in the sports that play 50, 60 games a season. You want to see how your team responds. And here's what Gasso said. She said, this trip was 100% necessary. We needed it. We were kind of walking into a trap, but what was important for us to see how it feels when your body is maybe not all there. But I mean, we just flat out got beat. We needed to feel what that felt like and learn from it. I don't regret one thing. This trip was important for us to learn. I think everything Oklahoma did in Georgia, including losing, accomplished what Patty Gasso needed to move forward with this team through the rest of the season. In the same breath, the one thing it does for me is it removes a lot of the pressure from this team. When you have a zero in oh, yeah. the loss yeah. column, whether you, you want to admit it, whether you want to state it or not, there is pressure that comes with a zero in the loss column. And any athlete who's chased down a perfect season – you're going to tell me that the guys from Gonzaga 
against Baylor in the national championship uh-huh. didn't hear this pressure. They didn't feel the weight of that because every time they played a game, guess what people talked about? Guess what the title was? Gonzaga is fighting for this zero loss, this perfect season. Gonzaga stepping onto the court and they've put their their perfect season on the line. That was everywhere they went and that was going to be the same case for Oklahoma. Now that that has been removed from the table, again, there's a I, I feel as though there would be a sense of relief whether that was stated or not. It, it's definitely there. Yeah. Well, and you'll remember if if you listen to this podcast when the NCAA tournament was coming around, I said Gonzaga's not going to win it. Because of that, because they're undefeated. So you're absolutely right. Speaking of pressure, though, um, Oklahoma baseball goes to Manhattan, Kansas, and loses in their three-game series to the Fighting Pete Hughes. I mean, the the uh, Kansas State Wildcats. That is a bad loss. It's a bad series loss for Oklahoma baseball. I've been kind of on the fence. I've been a little bit indifferent about this team. We're, you know, we're not following them as closely as we have in the past at Heartland Sports. And a lot of that is just because we're, I mean, we're, we get a lot of publicity for softball and, and a lot of our listeners and readers are, are into softball and there's other outlets that are covering baseball way better than we could. And we're letting those outlets do that. But the reality is I've been indifferent on this team, but I'm ready to say at this point, the Oklahoma baseball has regressed from last season. And sometimes that's natural. Sometimes that's when you lose the arms that Oklahoma lost to the Major League Baseball draft. That, that happens. But the, the point is, I don't think I don't think Skip Johnson has any pressure on him as far as his job goes. I, I'm not saying that. I won't say that. But what I am saying is this team now has pressure on them to produce moving forward to try to do something to erase that that series loss. They lost 2 to 1 in Manhattan. That's a bad loss. It's a bad loss because Kansas State's not a great baseball team. It's a bad loss because you fired Pete Hughes for a bunch of reasons, but one of the reasons was you didn't feel like the program was moving in the right direction under his leadership and you lose to that guy. It's just all across the board. There's nothing good, nothing redeemable, nothing of value that comes out of that loss over the weekend in that series. To the point where if you look at some of the guys who are, you know, you and I used to hang out with, who are the beat guys who jump on these uh, video calls with Pete Hughes and every uh, and all the Big 12 coaches, they, they said today that Skip was not in a good mood. And he really was really the most they've seen him down on his team since he came to the University of Oklahoma. This, this is a, a pivotal moment, in my opinion, for Oklahoma baseball for this season. And Skip's got a lot of work. Ahead of him, I did say previously, Matt, that the the offense was the one thing that was suspect for me. That has clearly turned. I have a differing opinion. I'm joining your side of the fence, and it's coming down to starting pitching. Oklahoma, while they do have a rotation, it's not a rotation that ultimately strikes fear in the opposing batters. Mm -hmm. It's not a consistent, and I know I use that word a lot because it's the one thing I look for from great teams, from great players on those great teams is the, the consistency, the ability to put up good numbers night after night after night, week after week, month 
after month. And Oklahoma starting pitchers simply have not had it. It's their one Achilles heel. Um, again, joining your side of the fence, it's their one Achilles heel. And I do believe that if they can begin to solve some of that, they can begin to iron out a lot of their problems and ease some of these younger guys into a more fluid role, into a more productive role. And even if they need to, Skip Johnson can go in and manufacture runs. Yeah. Well, and that's what he's – I mean, he's just – yeah, everything you just said, yes. Um, let's go to basketball real fast. Um, Porter Mosier – just tearing up the transfer portal. He gets the Groves brothers out of Eastern Washington. Now we, we mentioned Tanner Groves a week ago on this podcast. Not only did they get Tanner Groves or they guys, little brother, Jacob Groves, Tanner, the more, the more notable player because of his 35 points against Kansas in the first round of the NCAA tournament. He's a big man. Subsequent upset. They lost to Kansas. Oh, I'm just uh, you. You threw me for a loop there yeah. for a second. Sorry. Yeah, sure um, did, didn't uh, but uh, he did. He did score 35 against them. Um, he averaged 17.2 re, uh, points and eight rebounds on the season. Now his brother uh, Jacob is a younger guy. He's a sophomore, but he averaged 9.3 and 4.2. It, it's it's not. They, by the way, also shot 36. 0.4% from three-point range. So it's not like it's a situation where you get Tanner and you have to take Jacob in order to get Tanner. You get two legitimate guys here that's going to come in on this on this team for Porter Mosier. And what's I mean, look, I, I saw on Twitter, the social media was great about this. Um, somebody put on, I, I'm pretty sure it was Twitter, well, welcome to the NCAA transfer portal, the only place where you can lose a guy to North Carolina and and then pick up a guy from Duke all in the same week. And obviously that's that's in reference to the Jordan Goldwire kid, the the guard that's transferring out of, out of, um, out of Duke. And and what this tells me, we, we knew Brady Manick was gone. We, we talked about that. I think this the fact that you're picking up Jordan Goldwire means that for sure Davian Harmon's gone. And, you know, Alondis Williams may be gone as well, but I mean, there, I've got some news on Davian Harmon that I, I, and you, you know me, Rich, I've been saying this for a while and it's public. If you've been listening to this podcast, when Davian Harmon said, I'm going to kind of test the waters of the NBA, I was one of the first people to say he's gone. Right. And then that Mosier comes out and says, oh yeah, I expect Davian Harmon to be back in, in Norman. And then all those people came back to me and went, oh, you said he was going to be gone. And you don't know what you're talking about. You're a joke. Blah, blah, blah. David Harmon's gone. <laughs> I mean, we just need to come to our, our senses on that. He's gone. And where he's going to land is going to make a lot of Oklahoma fans very unhappy. I'm just going to put that out there. Where <laughs> he's going to land is going to make a lot of Oklahoma fans very unhappy. But I think Jordan Goldwire coming in, getting that guard position, just kind of lets you know that that Mosier, he, he's hitting that transfer portal, and he's picking up guys that and he's going to build this roster, and, and it looks a lot better now than it did a week ago. Matt, there are still some big names out there that I know people are going to focus on, people are going to hope land at the University of Oklahoma. Two of those are former players from the state at the high school level. There's a third player that I'm throwing into the mix. I don't know what the situation is there as no NBA draft announcement has come from former 
former player under Moser and Cameron Crutwig. But the two, Matt, that, that I know are going to excite people the most are still going to be Bryce Thompson. Whether there's a realistic chance of him coming to Oklahoma or there isn't, there's always going to be excitement about that name because mm-hmm. of the level of talent that he is and because he's a homegrown product. But the second one that's going to be very similar is Jackson Robinson. If Oklahoma can focus in on those two guys and pull one of them out of the transfer portal, Jackson Robinson coming from Texas A&M, Bryce Thompson from Kansas. Which, by the way, I just—I'm sorry for interrupting. You know, you know, I do that a lot, but I'm coming around on Bryce Thompson. You were hot on Bryce Thompson. I was like, no way, not not in conference. What? Well, guess what? I think it's open season in conference now with the Big Twelve striking down that rule. So yeah, bring on Bryce Thompson. I, I think he stays in conference. I just don't know that it's at Oklahoma. Well, are you ready for this? Go for it. I got some breaking news for you, mm-hmm. and I'm going to butcher this name, but fresh out of the transfer portal from Dallas, Texas to Norman, Oklahoma, Ethan. C-H-A-R-G-O-I-S. Chargois? Chargois? Chargis? Char- is that Char- O-I-S? Chargis? Oh, I didn't hear that. Yeah. C-H-A-R-G-O-I-S. I don't know. To me, it sounds French. Let's not butcher it. Spelling Six, it out. Fantastic. 6'9", 235, 8.8 points, 5.4 rebounds per game last season for the SMU Mustangs. He has bounced out of the transfer portal. And landed in Norman, another big guy. And and here's what it comes for. This is what I was talking about when we talk about Porter Mosier and and the style, the difference in the style. And that's why Davian Harmon's gone. Mosier wants the point guards to facilitate. He wants them to take care of the ball, don't turn it over. But the point guards aren't going to be those guys who score the that the team high every night. He wants it to go through these big men. And that's why, again, that's why Davian Harmon is bouncing out. That's why Alondis Williams is bouncing out. Um, and I think that's why you'll see more big men initially come in and, than you'll see guards. And there are, but at the same time, is you have to have guards to comprise a starting five, which is where the the names I get when we look at Robinson, six seven guy. He can he can play a couple of different positions on the floor, but ultimately, I think he lands as the a stretch four, or he plays the three position. Oklahoma and Porter Moser are bringing in taller players, 6'8", 6'9", 6'10", range, and they're trying to address some of the shortcomings in the front court because of the transfers, because of those who have opted to play professional basketball in the upcoming season. But it doesn't mean that you can completely forget about the guard play. There's still Elijah Harkless, who exists as Probably the best defender. I don't know that I he agree. will. I don't know he will be the best defender at the end of the year, but he comes into the year as the best defender on this Oklahoma roster. Emoja Gibson is also a player that you're looking at playing that point guard position who can be a facilitator, but when he's asked to, he can step back, knock down a couple three point shots as well. Oklahoma and Porter Moser, they're looking to put the Big 12 on notice and they're gaining the names right now, especially especially if they can pull a Crutwig, a Thompson, or a Robinson. Mm-hmm. That's going to put the Big 12, as I mentioned, on notice and everybody will be, be, be tuning in to see just how good this Oklahoma team can be with a completely revamped starting five. Have you, speaking of names, uh, have you seen the nickname now for uh, Porter Mosier? I have not. Portal Mosier. <laughs> Just, I think that's kind of funny. Okay, true or false coming up. I get to ask the questions, but most of them are coming from you, our listeners. We got that coming, and then it's all football talk from here. 
Okay, well, it's my turn to do uh, true or false this week. And and what I'm cheating, Rich. I'm just I'm not gonna I'm not going to uh, to lie. I'm cheating. And um, I started doing this uh, all maybe a month ago, where I just reached out to social media and I give people opportunity to throw the true false questions our way. And um, and only two of these are mine. The first two, and then the other three are from listeners. So here we go. Um, are you ready? Mm-hmm. All right. This you, is you always ask me that. Well, just, just start I, assuming. I just you just kind of you just have that look. I, I don't I don't know how to say it other than you got that look. All right. Uh, number one. Okay, so look, a guy like Porter Mosier comes into Norman, Oklahoma, replaces a legend in Lon Kruger, and is basically changing everything about the program. He's changing the coaching staff. He's changing the tradition of the program, and in terms of what they do, pregame, postgame, the way they practice, he's changing the style of play. He's rebuilding on this foundation that Lon Kruger already laid. It used to be it took a guy two or three seasons to really get where they want, right? But not anymore. True or false? The new transfer rules will make it much easier for coaches to completely change a program in the situation like Porter Mosier's in. Completely change a program means you have to have the vacancies. But yes, I do believe that one to be true. And the simple reasoning... Matt, is that I've labeled this as the free agency mm-hmm. of college sports. It's easier to land at a location, stay there for a year, stay there for a couple of months, however long it may be. Decide that, you know what, this just isn't what you thought it was going to be. Two, that you're going to be buried on the depth chart. Three, that you're not utilized as often as you would have hoped to have been, and you can opt out of that program, enter the transfer portal. And because you are a great high school athlete, there are still, still ears that are tuning into what you're doing. There are still eyeballs that are fixated on where you're playing, where you're going, what you're doing. And that I, I do believe applies to these collegiate coaches. So I absolutely believe that if someone comes in and they want to change, completely change the makeup completely change the structure of a program. They have been given the green light to do so. And that is largely because of the transfer portal. Okay. So here's a follow-up question to that. This isn't number two. This is 1.1 follow-up. True or false. Coaches used to get two or three years, three years solid to prove themselves because that's how much time it took them to really recruit the guys that they needed for their program. True or false, that three-year grace period is about to shrink. No, I, I don't. I do not agree with that one. That one is false for me. And at the at the end of the day, you can be successful, you can be unsuccessful, but what's going to reign supreme is money. When Fair you enough. have money tied up in an individual, when you have money tied up in a contract, it's hard to say that three years excuse me, it's hard to say that less than three years is what you're going to be given. And I get at about that point in time, that three-year mark is when those extensions Mm -hmm. become available to a lot of these coaches and they're pretty substantial in size. So again, I don't see any way that three less than three years becomes the norm. Um, and, and that may change just on a sport to sport basis. But if we're talking football, if we're talking basketball, I don't see that being the case. Okay. So, uh, question number two, then true or false sticking with this whole transfer portal thing. Uh, the new transfer rules are going to drastically change, particularly with basketball, drastically change the way recruiting is done. 
Man, that's a tough one. Um, I'm going to go with false on this one, and I'll tell you why. It's because I think there's going to be a bigger player when it comes to recruiting than the way that the transfer portal is being handled, and that is things like the G League. I think we're really just seeing the beginning, the development of that. We're seeing a handful of players, specifically three, who I expect to go early on in the draft this year. There are three names who went G League instead of going to a Division I university as high, high prospects not just a mid-major, but we're talking high-major prospects as starters and major contributors. But the beauty of the whole thing for them is while they're playing in the G League, there's no school involved. Mm-hmm. It's Sure, it's a salary. It may be a minimal salary, but it is a salary nonetheless preparing yourself for that next step because the NBA has not changed that rule of you must be one year removed from high school. So I do believe that recruiting is changing. I do believe that we're going to see some different tactics employed and we're going to have to see the college realm begin to adapt to what the G League is going to do, especially if they can maintain some level of success. Ergo, I I don't believe that the transfer portal will be the one that dictates that. Again, I do believe that it's players looking for a way to continue doing something that they love and that they've poured their life into while making money doing it. Okay. Okay. Good. So let's um let's go to our our listeners. This is uh, from Joshua, and he just says this: true or false, Marcus Major will have the same type of breakout year uh, in 2021 that Rodney Anderson did in 2017 and surprise everyone. Man, that would be a complete treat now, wouldn't it? Because of the the potential of a Marcus Major, there were a lot of comparisons that he drew coming out of high school. He's in an unfortunate scenario in that Kennedy Brooks is returning and Eric Gray has transferred to the University of Oklahoma. When you're looking at a one-two punch, those guys easily rise to the surface. And as much as I would love to see success again for a homegrown product in Marcus Major, I have to go with false. And I I believe he gets playing time. I just don't think he is the main contributor. I don't believe that he will take over like Rodney Anderson did. I don't believe he gets the lion's share of the carries this season. Okay. Okay. Good. Good response. Uh, here we go. Here's a second one. Listener. Um, listener. Um, I, I. This is from Ryan. And Ryan says, true or false, OU will lead the Big 12 in takeaways in 2021. Man, this is kind of up your alley because this is something you've talked about before. Well, we know that it must be a priority. I'm okay. Let me let me come back to this one because I want to see where the numbers fell last year before. before uh, you're gonna you're actually gonna do some research statement. here. Yeah, why shouldn't I? Right? I'm just okay. Hey, let me let me just pull up the conferences. I've got it right here, and and I can go. Um, what are we looking at? Interceptions. I can't just do interceptions and. Fumbles lost. Let me look at interceptions. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Turnovers, maybe? Yeah, there we go. Turnover margin. That'll work for me. And I can see them all. So we had Texas number one at 18, Baylor number two. Never mind. Uh, Oklahoma number one at, at 19 last year. Does that surprise you? A little bit. A little bit. I mean, my goodness, I didn't think that was the case. 
Given the numbers, I'm going to go with true. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Oklahoma last year had a lot of success in year one to year two under Alex Grinch. I think this is a year with seven returning starters that they have the most potential to build on what they did from the previous season. Looking at these numbers, Oklahoma, 19 takeaways, 19 total gain, whether that was interception or fumble is indifferent to me. 16 interceptions, just in case you cared, which also led the Big 12 to three fumbles, which gives us that total of 19. And again, Matt, if if we see some of the success that we've seen... Are you... Okay, keep going, keep going. If we've seen some of the success that we've seen out of the defensive line, out of a guy like a Jalen Redmond, out of a guy like a Perry and Winfrey, out of a out of whoever's going to be playing on that opposite side, which I do believe is Isaiah Thomas still, you believe that there's going to be a little bit of shuffling as these we'll get guys, to that here in a minute. Yeah, as these guys slim down and become um, ambiguous in a position and can play any one of the positions along that defensive line. So again, if Oklahoma can be successful as they take that next step forward and they can dominate the defensive line, I think this is a team that is absolutely capable of ranking number one in takeaways. Now, will they have the highest margin? Will they throw interceptions or will they cough up the ball on the turf via fumble less than any other team in the conference? I don't know about that one. I, I just got to be honest with you, and, and this is what – I mean, because I like perspective from other people, and that's what we get here with this question from Ryan. 19 turnovers, 16 interceptions. It's a little bit mind-blowing when you think about how much we're like, oh, you know, they're not getting what Alex Grinch wants. Right, and, and that perception came because of the, the first five games of the season. When Oklahoma, I mean, if you wanted to go into their stats and you wanted to take a deep dive, I'm going to do that for you instead. (laughs) So against uh, Missouri State, one, one turnover forced. Against Kansas State, zero. Against Iowa State, one. Texas, we had a little bit of a balloon up to three, and then TCU is is a zero. So when we're looking at the first five games of the mm-hmm. season, we weren't hitting the average that was expected of two per game. And that was that was the expectation that Alex Grinch, as the coach, had set upon this defense. Not us as fans. Right, right. No, that you're was, right. That yeah. was their coach. And when those numbers didn't come, Matt, I think we began to say, something's not right here. But then you can go and look at the the last three games of the season and Oklahoma against Baylor, two inter- not two interceptions. Uh, it was two interceptions, but two turnovers gained against Iowa State. It was three turnovers. And against Florida, it was also three turnovers. Yeah, it just, like I said, you just, you think about how, f- I get, you look at how far they've come, but you just kind of get stuck with how far they had to come. You know what right. I'm saying? Uh-huh. And you're just like, wow, that's just, Mind blog. All right, here we go. Number right. five. We were in the same boat because yeah. I looked at it and said, wait, like, Oklahoma had 19? <laughs> like, are you kidding me? Okay, here we go. Final true or false question for you, um, fan-related. Oklahoma will finally break their habit of getting up early in the game only to let their opponents come back and, and nearly or successfully beat them. And they're going to reference probably um, Kansas, Iowa State, and almost Iowa State again, mm-hmm. Texas. Oklahoma gets that. Yeah, they, they learn to stomp the throat, Rich. Sure or false? I, I do think that Oklahoma turned a corner against Texas. 
that overtime game when Spencer Rattler is benched. And I get playing those close, actually building substantial leads in the first half, and then the second half playing as if they didn't want to lose. I think that's gone. I think that came down to a mentality of we've got a young quarterback we don't want to ruin his confidence mm-hmm. by having him make these mistakes in the second quarter. So we are going to, or second quarter, second half. So we're going to be conservative with our play calling and all the pressure is going to be placed upon the defense to carry this team to victory. Again, I think we saw a change after that fourth game in the season. TCU was the 33-14 game, Texas Tech 62-28. The closest that anyone got from that point forward would have been Iowa State in the Big 12 championship game, which was a six-point win for Oklahoma. Is it their MO to let people back into these games in the second half? I would have absolutely agreed with that up through that Texas game, but I, I don't agree with that today. And there there go I, I what was the question again? Do I am I answering the, this one false or true? I yeah, can't remember. It sounds like you're gonna say true because the question is Oklahoma true or false, Oklahoma will finally break their habit of yeah, getting yeah. up early and yeah, then abs- absolutely true. Okay, that's going to wrap it up for True or False. Thank you to everybody who submitted. You'll have the chance to get in the future. You can follow us on Twitter at Sports Heartland uh, to get the opportunity to to jump in on those. Uh, look for them on Thursday afternoons when we throw out that question to you guys. Spring game coming up on Saturday. We're going to talk about who we're going to be looking for, but there's also two guys that we're quite confident aren't going to be there, not just in the spring, but uh, forever. So here's how the podcast industry works. If you've got uh, a, a podcast that you record on one night, all the big news is going to break the day after you record the podcast. So we're recording this on Thursday, April 22nd. That means some big story is going to break Friday or Saturday, most likely. Here's how it happened last weekend with this situation with Seth McGowan and Trajan Bridges. We recorded and then boom, Friday, this story begins to break. Um, Rich, we heard it. I I think you and I both had sources that were feeding information on this. I texted you and I was like, hey, a big story is about to break for Oklahoma football and it's not going to be a positive one. It's not going to be a good one. And you're like, yeah, I know. Um, we didn't want to release the names. Almost everybody didn't want to release the names until Saturday. Finally, the, um, the I believe it was Rivals and, and kudos to Kerry Murdoch and Rivals. Uh, really, there's some, there's some guys who did some great work on this. Uh, the Rivals guys did a great job. Uh, John Hoover did a great job. No, sorry, Eric Bailey, Tulsa World did a great job. John Hoover did a great job. Um, 24-7's guys, they did a great job. Really kind of dissecting this, getting the information out there because it's, a, it's such a culture now that you want to make sure that the information you get is accurate because the last thing you want to do is release a kid's name and we knew the names. I, I'm assuming you knew the names. Uh, we knew the names on Friday, but we didn't want to like the last. If unless your your information is verified in a situation like this, you just don't want to go out and say, "Hey, yeah, Seth McGowan and Trajan Bridges were raw, were involved in an armed robbery, and they weren't the victims." You know, because that just the, the weight of that you can never take it back, and it's important moving forward with this conversation now that we do stress that due process still gets to play out here and we live in the United States of America which we have a constitutional right of being innocent until proven guilty regardless of 
what political factors may say in some situations and others, innocent until proven guilty. So keep that in mind. But man, this just doesn't look good at all for Seth McGowan and Trajan Bridges. No. No, it doesn't. Um, and I know that the next question that will ultimately be asked is what... Let me back up here just ever so slightly. Because at the end of the year, Matt, we saw Trajan Bridges and the way that Oklahoma was using him was as a deep threat. So the question that comes next is without them available, without these two players potentially on the roster, I feel as though Bridges is more of a candidate for that than someone like, um, I just blanked on the other dude's name. Seth McGowan? Yes, thank you. Then then McGowan. But due to the nature of what is being reported, due to our current culture, I don't really see a way that either of these two individuals remain on this roster. With that said, it's it it the next question that follows is who replaces them? Who's that yeah. next guy up on this roster? And because we are talking about football, that's a natural progression for us to take, regardless of the legal proceedings that will happen. No, I agree. I mean, and if you look at the situation, you you look at the story, and again, all the facts are not out. But just the, let let's take Trajan Bridges for example. I don't know how Joe, podcast listener here, feels about marijuana. I mean, everybody has different opinions on it. It's legal in the state of Oklahoma. It's illegal if, in the NCAA's eyes. And this is a kid who just missed more than half of the season because he popped on a marijuana test. And, and marijuana is one of the things that was stolen from the victim Marijuana is one of the things that was found in Trajan Bridges' car, and the marijuana that was stolen from the victim is not the same marijuana that was found in Trajan Bridges' car. So it's not like, I mean, Trajan Bridges rolling around Norman with marijuana in his car after just serving a suspension. And again, it doesn't matter in this situation. It doesn't matter. People go, oh, it's 2021. Let it go. Okay, fine. Then until the NCAA changes their rules, you can't let it go. And this is a kid who just hurt your team. And you got to ask yourself, what lesson did he learn? Right? What lesson right. did he learn? Because he's still rolling with marijuana. And, and you just, just from that alone, I, for me, for, from just for that alone, take away the armed robbery, okay? Take away the assaults. That's enough to say this kid doesn't, probably doesn't need to be in your program. And again, it, it, it does. This is I know I know. The pro marijuana people are going to be screaming at me over this, but again, it doesn't matter what you feel. What matters is what the rules are. And it, if you want to play college football, if you want to be in the NCAA, then guess what? It doesn't matter what you feel. What matters is can you abide by the rules? I really feel like if I could sit down and talk to Lincoln Riley, we could be off the record. I really feel, I honestly feel, if I could sit down with Lincoln Riley, I said, hey, coach, oh, we're off the record. Hey, Lincoln, because <laughs> we're off the record, I can call him first name. How do you feel about marijuana? What's your thoughts? I think Lincoln Riley would tell me off the record, not a big deal. I, I have no problem with it. I think he's that kind of guy. But head coach Lincoln Riley 
is going to say that damages my program because it removes players that I have access to. Mm-hmm. And these guys can't do that because I need access to them. I'm giving them a scholarship to come to this university to play on this football field within the parameters of this team. And one of those parameters is they have to pass drug tests. And if they can't pass a drug test, they're no good to me. Doesn't mean he doesn't like them. Doesn't mean he doesn't care about them. What it does mean is that these guys had things in their lives that were more important than football and winning at this university. And because of that, because it's proven over and again, they got to be gone. But then you add a possible felony here and absolutely they got to be gone. I mean, there's, there's no, here's, here's the things that you can't question about this. You cannot question that somebody was robbed. Somebody was robbed. You cannot question that somebody was assaulted with a pistol. Somebody was assaulted with a pistol. Now, they weren't shot. They were pistol whipped. But still, they were assaulted with a pistol, which makes this a felony offense. Now, you can question the motives. You can question what happened. You can question the involvement of Trajan Bridges. You can question the involvement of Seth McGowan. But here's what I know, what you know, what anybody who's followed the story knows, is that the victim knew Trajan Bridges. When, he, when the police show up, when he calls 911, he's like, yeah, it was Trajan Bridges. Here's what kind of car he has. Well, who was the other guy? I don't know, but he was a football player. Well, here, here's the roster. Can you point him out? Do you see his picture on the roster? Yeah, it was that guy right there. It was Seth McGowan. I mean, these are irrefutable facts. And so I think, particularly if you're a guy in Seth McGowan's case, whether you're going to play again or not, that's pretty, pretty irrelevant right now. Because dude's got, if this is true, if he's convicted, dude's got some way, he, he's, he's going to jail. If, if he's convicted for this, this isn't something where you get a citation and then you got to run stadium steps and maybe you get suspended for a little bit of time. If this is true, Seth McGowan is going to jail. If this is true, Trajan Bridges is gone from this program. And if it's not true, I think Trajan Bridges should still be gone from this program just for the marijuana. So who replaces them? That's that's the question you're going to. That's 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 where you're going. And I, I think in in Seth McGowan's case, it's a little bit easier of an answer because you and I have already talked about. We've already broke went through the backfield, and, mm-hmm. and we talked about the potential. I think it was there for him to redshirt this season. Were you in agreement with that? Yes. In that conversation. Yes. Okay. So so there there's that answer right there. I, I don't I don't think McGowan was going to be as big of a factor as Trajan Bridges, as you mentioned. But now that Trajan Bridges is is off the mm-hmm. shelf or on the shelf or not available, I really think it opens up the door for a guy like Mario Williams. Mario Williams is a guy in, in coming freshman. He he's a guy that had a lot of talent in high school, was was a speedster dude, and and really where you what what hurts you in Trajan Bridges is that you you've lost your guy who could really stretch the defense. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Cuz you've got possession guys. You've got over the middle guys. You've got in the flat guys. But who's that guy that could really just stretch the defense and make those safeties stay deep? Well, that was going to be Trajan Bridges. 
Now the question the question turns around as to who is that guy going to be now that Trajan Bridges isn't available? I think Mario Williams, who's on campus, mm-hmm. and you'll see him on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Uh-oh. What's, what, what? I, I'm not agreeing with you. Oh, there. okay. All right. now, it's not to say that Mario Williams isn't a great talent. I do believe he steps in to this situation almost immediately and begins to contribute. But I, I felt as though Oklahoma had a solid five if we were counting Trajan Bridges in that. Now they've got a solid four. And I, I'm just talking wide receivers, Matt. Yeah. I'm not talking H-backs. I know, I'm not I know, talking I know. tight ends. I'm just talking wide receivers at this point. But when you begin to look for a guy as a, a stretch player, a guy who can be that deep ball threat, the guy that I'm I'm looking for more than a Mario Williams is Cody Jackson as a freshman. Okay. Well, we, we'll, we'll, we'll just beg the difference. I just I just know uh, look here's well, here's what I'm saying though. Okay, just 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 I, take I'm, this I'm ride listening. with me. I'm listening Mario Williams, not quite as tall as a guy like Cody Jackson. Don't got to be tall to stretch the defense. You don't. And, and we know that because of, of Marquise Brown. Hollywood Brown was not a, a extremely tall right. player, but had that ability because of his speed. When I look at, at Cody Jackson, when you look at some of the highlights, when you look at some of the assessment that's been given of him, we know that he's an athlete. But what most people, I think, overlook is that he was a relay runner in high school and he run the 200 meters. So to me, it says this guy has a burst of speed that he can sustain for a period of, period of time. When you're looking for a player to stretch the field, my focus immediately centers on him because of that natural athletic ability. It's no slight to any other player on the roster. It's not even saying that Cody Jackson's going to have the biggest impact as a deep ball threat. But it is saying a sight unseen. We haven't had the spring game yet. We don't know how these young players who have stepped onto campus have gone through spring training, spring workouts, spring practices are going to fit into Lincoln Riley's offense just yet. And I know there's a little bit of the position carousel is what I like Mm -hmm. to call it still going on for some of these guys, whether they're seasoned veterans or whether they're incoming true freshmen. There is a little bit of this position carousel that's going going, uh, on for them. But when I, as I mentioned, sight unseen, when I begin to center in on just one wide receiver to stretch the field, it's got to be Cody Jackson for me. Okay, well we're gonna we're gonna agree to disagree. I'll take Mario Williams. You'll take Cody Jackson. But another guy that we're not talking about is is a guy who's been in the program three years, and that's Theo Weiss, who has the ability to to be this guy as well. He's just got to catch the ball. And everybody who talks about Theo Weiss and his guy as a guy who's got to catch the ball, they're going to remember Iowa State in Ames. And the, Theo Weiss has to become a guy who catches the ball, but he definitely has the potential. He has the ability to stretch the field. And so if you're looking for someone, you never want someone to benefit off of someone else's misery, okay? But if someone's going to benefit from it, it, it looks like it's going to be, you say Cody Jackson, I say Mario Williams. Or I think Theo Weiss has a, has a shot there to to come in there. Um, but agreed. I mean, I, at the end of the day, we're agreed that these two guys have to be done with this program if everything sticks true with this story, right? Yeah. Okay, so we're, we're talking receivers there, uh, but we've got some specific names, some guys that we want to keep an eye on on this Oklahoma roster, we're going to give you three offensive names, three defensive names, guys that you're going to want to watch on Saturday when Oklahoma has the spring game. 
Okay, well, we get football this weekend, Oklahoma versus Oklahoma in the spring game, 4 o'clock start time. Notice I didn't say kickoff because I doubt they're going to actually kick off the spring game. Um, if you're not able to get a ticket, you know, I know you were really worried that people couldn't get tickets because all the rich people were going to take them up, but <laughs> I'm just saying that, that was <laughs> the a, rich people. <laughs> pretty much your exact words, wasn't it? No, it wasn't oh, at okay. all. Okay. Um, but anyway, if you weren't able to get a ticket, you can watch it on television. Bally Sports, Oklahoma, which that you, you may be like, I'm, I've not been around. Okay, so I'm like, what the heck is Bally Sports? It's well, it used to be Fox Sports, Oklahoma. That's where you can watch the game. You can also stream it the game through the Fox Sports app. Um, so those are uh, the Fox Sports Go app. So I gotta make sure I'd say that right. Um, Rich, there's so much going on. Saturday, I'm I'm a guy who I like the nostalgia of the spring game. I like the fact that it gives me just a a small taste of football before the 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 dog days of summer approach. But I'm not a guy who looks to learn a whole lot about schematics and so forth. How how guys are truly going to be used? There, I don't think there's a lot of that's going to happen in the spring game. So here's what I'm 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 getting at here. Key position battles. We're not going to go away Saturday night going, okay, well, here's your starting five offensive linemen, right? Right. That's not going to happen. We're not, we're not going to go away going, well, here, here's who's going to start at the nickel position. As, you know, who's, who's your outside linebacker? But what we can see is, hey, can this guy, can Caleb Williams play on this level? After not having his senior year of high school, the last guy, the last thing about this, the last time this guy strapped up, he was a junior in high school. And now he's strapping up in a collegiate spring game. Is he ready? We'll, we'll find out those, those kind of things. Is Eric Gray as versatile and as fast as, as everybody says he is? We're, we're going to find out. So those are the type of things that, that we're going for. Now, that said, we each have six names. There's a chance that. Some of my names and some of your names are the same, but we're going to go through and we're going to tell you three names on the offensive side of the ball, three names on the defensive side of the ball that we're going to be watching. And here's the reason why we're going to watch them. So you want to go offense first? Of course. Okay. Well, I've already mentioned one of mine and that's, that's Caleb Williams. I, I don't believe that I'm going to get on board with anybody who's going to say, well, Caleb Williams is going to come in, he's going to beat Spencer Rattler out, and Spencer Rattler is going to have to go to the NFL because he can't play at OU. That's not going to happen. But the I've been saying this for a long time. The key battle here with the quarterbacks is who's going to be number two, especially now that you've lost Tanner Mordecai, you've lost Chandler Morris, you got Micah Bowens coming in from Penn State. You've got Caleb Williams, who's, you know, everybody knows Caleb Williams, the number one quarterback in, in the last, in the 2021 class. You got another, a couple of other guys that are there. I don't think we see a lot of Spencer Rattler on Saturday. I do think we see a lot of Caleb Williams, Tanner Schaefer, and, and the Micah Bowens kid. Because I think those are the three that are legitimately right. competing for that backup spot. Mm-hmm. Well, I know Tanner Schaefer, he's a senior. He's a redshirt senior. He's been around for five years. I know he knows the ins and outs of college football. Micah Bowens played at Penn State. So he knows the ins and outs of college football. He transferred in. I'm, I'm, I'm serious. I want to see Caleb Williams. I want to see his adjustment to speed. I want to see the grasp he has on what's going to be a very limited and vanilla offense. Because he's going to have the blue jersey on, so no one can touch him. 
So he's got nothing to worry about as far as defensive linemen coming. How much pressure is he going to put on himself to go out there and really just sling it? How much we, we know about his leadership. I mean, people, he's a magnet, but what's that, what's that going to look like on the field? Because I do think it's a fair point. The last time this kid strapped it up, he was a junior in high school. I mean, that's, that is a legitimate fair point. I, I want to see. So he's the first name I've got. The first name that I'm throwing out there is, is going to come from the running back position. And this, I think, is going to draw a lot of eyes to begin with. The battle between Kennedy Brooks and Eric Gray. Kennedy Brooks taking the year off, much like with what you're saying about Caleb Williams, as here's a guy who hasn't played football competitively in a year, doesn't mean he hasn't been working out, doesn't mean he hasn't been getting repetitions in since the end mm -hmm. of the season, but it does mean that he hasn't played competitively at the collegiate level in a year. Kennedy Brooks was a guy I didn't feel like had a lot to prove to himself before opting for the NFL draft. So it was quite the surprise to me when he came back and said, I'm, I'm going to play one more year for the Oklahoma Sooners. This will be his third year to what many, myself included, are expecting to be this, this finale where he is the star running back. But then Eric Gray entered his name into the equation. And Eric Gray is the guy that, that I want to use as the barometer because he's played a year of college football since Kennedy Brooks has. Right. And when we begin to look at what he brings to the table, not only is he a physical threat when he carries the ball, but he's also a threat coming out of the backfield. And the praise that he has received as a pass catcher hasn't gone unnoticed. When we begin to talk about Eric Gray, he seems as though he's an all-around threat that provides Oklahoma and more specifically Lincoln Riley with a versatile piece to the offense that can create or manage mismatches at any point in time that Lincoln Riley wants to throw the ball or hand the mm -hmm. ball off to him. That's no slight to Kennedy Brooks. It's just a completely different animal when you yeah. look at Eric Gray. So is Eric Gray a guy who is going to cement himself as that number one running back Not option? Not on Saturday. Or no, no, I know that. Oh, I'm just, okay. I'm just talking about we're going get to get a glimpse of is there a difference between these two? Mm -hmm. We're going to get a glimpse of just how maybe that year, how far it's set back a guy like Kennedy Brooks. And if Eric Gray is a clear cut, the number one option as of that day. Okay. I get that there's a lot of months in between there, Matt, but when these two step on the field, is there a clear divide between those two in terms of the physicality, or are we going to see a very similar level of play? Okay. That's fair. Um, I, I, I have my opinion about the running backs. I, I, I don't know. I don't know how much you're going to see, honestly, of Eric Gray. I don't know how much you're going to see of Kennedy Brooks. I think it's going to be it's going to be very, very limited. I think you're going to see more of a guy like Todd Hudson. Uh, I think you're going to see Marcus Major. I, I think you know. I think those guys, maybe even Mikey Henderson, um, because they're going to protect those top two dogs. The last thing you want as a coach, that's why I think you'll see little, very little of Spencer Rattler. The the last thing you want as a coach is to lose a guy in the spring game. You really don't want to lose a guy of of high value like an Eric Gray. That said, I agree with you. I, I I'm curious is what what do these guys look like? How do they compare? Is Eric Gray really as good as catching the football out of the backfield as what they've raved about? And the fact that this game is going to be on TV means that it's not just going to be Sooner Nation tuning in. What is Lincoln Riley willing to show? Mm -hmm. 
he's going to show some things that he wants people to have to worry about, but clearly he's not going to show everything. And it's going to be in a vanilla for, it's going to come from a vanilla formation and a vanilla package with vanilla flavoring laced with extra vanilla. You know what I'm saying? But I, I do think you get a look. Let me give you my number two then. And it, this one's going to be along the offensive line. There are some key position battles. Hey, my number two is on the offensive there line. There are some key position battles that will take place. I know everyone's looking at center and wondering who is going to replace Creed Humphrey. But I'm going to take a step outside of that and look at this left side, specifically along the edge, not even at the tackle position, at that edge and wonder who is going to start there. And the number one target for me, Matt, I know that everyone wants to talk about Wanya Morris. Right. I know that you talk about the five star that was next to his name coming out of high school. You talk about playing in the SEC where the brand of football is slowly transitioning out Mm-hmm. of a run dominant offense to more of a spread look bringing him on to this specific roster and seeing how well he fits but the name for me is Anton Harrison a guy who's shocked us right. and started had his name in that starting role on day 1 now there was some faltering that had gone on there there were some um there was some switching his name didn't always appear at the top of the list, but a guy who comes in with that caliber of a talent who earns that starting role under Bill Biedenboe, I think has to make tremendous progress from year one to year two. And it will be interesting to see just exactly how he fits, how often he's played, and how often he's replaced by a guy like an Eric Swinson. So we will see. I, again, you're right. We're not going to learn a lot about this program. We're not going to learn a lot about this team, but it will be interesting to see what that rotation, just a slight rotation even mm-hmm. looks like. No, for sure. So, yeah, I'm, I'm sticking actually with the offensive line for my next guy as well on the offensive side. But uh, but I'm I'm going a little bit different than you because I, I want to see I want to see where guys fit in. Like you're talking about guys, Anton Harrison, who legitimately has a chance to win a starting job on this front five for Bill Biedenboe. I don't know. Does Robert Congle, does he really have a chance? That's what I want to see. Does this guy legitimately have a chance to be in this hunt on Bill Biedenboe's offensive line? Where does he fit in? I mean, he, he's a redshirt senior. He's transferring from Arizona. And Wanya Morris, you, you're right. He he took the cake. You know, he he's that big offseason transfer that everyone's talking about. Everyone wants to talk about Chris Murray. Where does he fit in now that he really is healthy and cleared from the NCAA and has a shot here? But Robert Congle's the guy. He's that he's that transfer that people just really aren't talking about that much. He started five games last season, and that's all. That's all Arizona got to play was five games in twenty two or in twenty twenty. Um, I I just I I and, and here's what I love about this kid. I love his grit. I love his tenacity. If you watch his film, he has fun out there. He if he embarrasses you, he's gonna let the whole world know that he thinks he embarrassed you. Two hundred twenty four pass blocking snaps. Last season, he allowed one sack. So uh, he's got the tools. 
But when we talk about the big names on this offensive line, the guys that are really fighting uh, to, to earn a spot, he's one of them. But in what manner? I mean, is he is he a can is he just a candidate? Is he a leading candidate? Does he have a chance to really draw this battle out into the summer and in late August? Is he a guy that I think, yeah, we can hear his name called as one of those starting five offensive linemen? I'm watching him for those reasons, and and those those reasons only. There's a lot of battles on that offensive line, and a lot of things we're not going to know after Saturday. But I do think we can look at a guy like Robert Congle and determine whether or not. He's legitimately in this battle. So my third guy on the offensive side of the ball, we're going to go to the receiver position. We talked about receivers just a few minutes ago, closing out the the uh, the talk on, on Trajan Bridges and who's going to replace him. And this guy's not going to replace Trajan Bridges, but I think it's this is the time for Jaden Hazelwood to shine. This 2021 is going to be his season. And we when we talk about... This class of receivers that came in, Trajan Bridges and Jason Hazelwood and Austin Stogner and Theo Weiss, Hazelwood was the guy that everybody thought, sky's limit. Sky is the limit with this kid. Pure, talented football player. One of the best guys ever seen on the prep level. And it's been injury after injury after injury. I don't think we'll see a lot. I really don't. He's one of those guys that, that, that Lincoln Riley is going to try to protect. But I want to see what we can see out of him. How does he look? You know, he left the team. He wasn't with them in, in Dallas for the Cotton Bowl. But he's back. He seems to be a guy that's just motivated. And he, he's, his body and his mind are in the right place. His desire's in the right place. What does that look like on the field? Because this should be the best version of Hazelwood that we've ever seen. I'm, I'm talking about going into the fall. But what will we see of him on Saturday? I, I'm really, really curious what he's going to look like on Saturday afternoon. N- number three for me. Don't is say Jaden Hazelwood. Surprise, surprise, Don't say it. Don't Jayden say it. Jaden Hazelwood. Why, though, is my, my why is going to be a little bit different than yours. And it's because... In in Hazelwood's first year, we saw him step in as a very inexperienced but talented receiver in the slot. His second year as a sophomore, he stepped in on the outside. Now, I may have those in reverse, but I know that he's played the slot, and I know he's played outside in two separate years. Yeah. And when we begin to look at the type of talent that he is, he's a guy who can virtually play anywhere on the field when it comes to the receiver position. So my curiosity stems from, does he play the X, Y, or the Z, or does he play all of them? Will there, and I know that I've used position ambiguity before, but will we see that out of a guy like Hazelwood because of the talent that he is? And I do fully expect, Matt, if we're going to look at at the two deep, he's going to show up in the fall at multiple positions. Yeah, I, he's he's not going to just line up in one spot every down. You're, I agree. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, so let's go to the defensive side of the ball then. Well, who's your first defender? The defensive side of the ball for me is going to be Jalen Redmond. 
number one top of the list guy for me. And it's largely, it, it's twofold, but it's largely because of the absence of Ronnie Perkins. Everyone's wondering who is going to step up in that role, who is going to be a guy who gets into the backfield, wreaks a little bit of havoc. Jalen Redmond proved that he was capable of doing mm-hmm. that in his first year. Now he sat out last year. And so the questions more for me are going to center around what shape is he in physically? Is he able to compete from day one at this level or will he be gassed and we don't see much of him just because of a conditioning aspect of it? And I get that there are health concerns on his behalf, which is why he sat out from 2021. So how does all of that impact him? Sorry, sat out 2020. How does that all of that impact him moving in to 2021? One, I do believe he's probably one of the most talented defensive ends on this roster, if not the most talented. I sh- Let me rephrase that. He's a guy who, who possesses the most potential at defensive end. Will he be a guy who actually lives up to that for this defense and in turn lead this defense to once again leading the conference to uh, the number of turnovers that they were able to force last year? I don't think he'll play defensive end. That's just me. I think he's going but to be. You on, don't think anybody's going to play. Well, I'm just position. saying. I, I think he's going to be on the inside. I think he's a guy. That, you know, Barry Winfrey is going to be your nose guard. Um, I, and I think he's a guy that they're going to want to put next to Perry and Winfrey. Just, just my thought on that. Um, I could be wrong. We'll see. But I don't. I don't think you'll see a lot of Jalen Redmond. I'm not saying you won't see him on the outside, but I think you'll see him on the inside more. And that's and again, that's just my two cents. We'll see. We'll be curious. He's not one of my guys that I that I had, but my first guy that I do have on the defensive side of the ball is Key Lawrence. Um, and I because I, I think I think he's a natural solution to the problem at nickel. You lost Buki. Who's there? Uh, you know, there's there's been a lot of talk about Justin Broyles. We talked about him last week on the podcast. But um, does Key Lawrence? come in and really kind of steal the show and to ha- show that he has a grasp on this nickel position. And so I'm, I'm looking at him number one on this defense. The second guy I'm looking at is Caleb Kelly. Here, here's a, my question about Caleb Kelly. Is Caleb Kelly a feel good story or is he literally a guy that's going to make a difference at the outside linebacker position? Because you've got four guys on the outside linebacker position. You've got Aguebu, you've got Deshaun White, you've got Brian Asamoah, and then there's Caleb Kelly. And Caleb Kelly, by all accounts, was a starter before the injury last season took him out. Is he still a starter, knowing what we know now about David Aguebu, knowing what we know now about Brian Asamoah? You know, we've, we've seen Deshaun White for two years now. How does Caleb Kelly stack up to those guys now? So I'm curious to see where Caleb Kelly stacks up uh, on this outside linebacker position. My number two guy, Matt, that I'm going with, it is centering around the nickelback position, but it's using a different name. Okay. It's Jeremiah Crudell. All right. If you'll remember correctly, when Jeremiah Crudell eventually committed to the University of Oklahoma, there was this video of Lincoln Riley's reaction, which was full of fist pumps and letting out this this roar in celebration of the ability to actually reel this guy in from California, from the West Coast. Now, we fast forward a year, and the way that the coaching staff is speaking about him is to say that he's made tremendous improvement, but it's just not your average step one or year one to that next 
that next step of progress, step two, year two, however you'd like to label that. They're saying that in Alex Grinch's career, he's never seen a player improve at the rate that Jeremiah Cradell has. And I think that speaks volumes of the, the work ethic that it ha he has and the natural ability. So I see him working himself into some kind of a starting role. It just seems as though the biggest question mark, as you've mentioned, sits at that nickelback position. And I think Cradell could easily slide in there and just label himself as the starter early on, but it'll be interesting to see where Oklahoma uses him. If he is going to play that nickelback position or are they going to continue to rely on him as a cornerback? Right. No, that's a good point. Okay. Who's your number three then? Uh, yeah, yeah. Number three for me, I'm really sticking with the secondary here because there were several areas that were questions for me. And when you look at what Oklahoma is losing in the secondary, I do believe it's easy to focus in that general direction. So the second one is going to be, or the third one, excuse Excuse me, is going to be at the cornerback position. I, Matt, there's several names that we could throw out here. I'm going with Woody Washington, and it was because of the clutch moments right. that he had. Is he going to continue to be a guy who produces at a high level? I feel like I'm addressing this more in the fall perspective for him than I am in the spring game. But once again, you do have to have a starter. You do have to have a name. You do have to have a body and a jersey number trot out there as the starter. I would be shocked if it was anyone but Woody Washington at this point in time. So the I guess the bigger question for me and the way that I can address this in the spring is on an eyeball test – how far ahead is Woody Washington over a guy like a DJ Graham? Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Um, so here's my last guy, which is great because we did six guys um, on offense, six guys, uh, excuse me. Yeah. Six guys on offense between the two of Three, us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Six guys on defense between the two of us. And we've only had one of the same. And that was, I was on the offense with Jaden Hazelwood because my last guy is Isaiah Thomas. And it goes back to what you were saying about Jalen Redmond I'm wondering where they're going to use Isaiah Thomas Be, because as I'm, as I'm deciphering my way through this defensive front, I already told you, I think Perry and Winfrey, he, he's your nose guard. I, I think a guy like Corey Robertson, nose guard, uh, Jalen Redmond. I think he's an inside guy. Could Isaiah Thomas be an outside guy? Could Isaiah Thomas be that guy that one snap he's next to the nose tackle and on the next snap, he's a defensive end. And I don't know if we'll find that out on Saturday. I really don't. But I think Isaiah Thomas has the tools. He was a pleasant surprise in 2020. And I think they want to take him a step further in 2021. And I, I think he has the tools to be an outside guy on that defensive front. And so I'm curious. I'm just, well, I want to watch. What does Isaiah Thomas do on this defensive line? Where does he line up? Is he always in the same position? Does he move inside out? You know, I just, I'm just curious. Uh, so Isaiah Thomas is, is my guy number three. That's going to wrap it up for us and the Sooner Nation podcast. Uh, we'll give you our thoughts on the spring game next week as well as NFL draft thoughts. Um, you can catch us on the website heartland-sports.com. Uh, we're there just about every day with some thoughts, opinions, something on Oklahoma related. Uh, and you also, you can always find us on Twitter at sports heartland on Twitter. Have a great weekend. Enjoy your football. Boomer sooner.